What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knicks fans, how you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. With me, as always, for episodes to start the week is my co-host, Jeremy Cohen. And Jeremy, um, we have to get you out of here before too long. And and why is that? Tell the folks at home who may not practice the same traditions as you. Yeah, this is uh, it's Sunday night. And uh, for those who may not know, Monday, September 28th is Yom Kippur. So that is a day that I get to fast. I won't eat or drink anything for 25 hours. I've done it before. This is like my eighth or ninth year. It's You get used to it, but it, it never really sticks with you. Uh, I could do without food. It's the water part that always usually kills me. Uh, and you can't eat a lot the night before because if you do, your stomach expands and then you just get hungrier the next day. So uh, I basically have to eat before sundown. I mean, nothing happens to me if I eat after the sun's down to my knowledge. I mean, well, listen, to. you, you are uh, all due respect. You are not in a position to say whether or not anything happens to you. That's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, that's, that's essentially what my day is and my, you know, so it'll be great. You know, I get to, uh, people do different things for Yom Kippur. Um, usually it's in temple, but I'm not doing that this year. So I think what I'm just going to do is reflect on various things and watch the wire and try not to think about food, which is really hard when you don't eat. I, w- um, I, I think you kind of just answered my question with the with the bit about not going to temple. I was going to say on a scale of one to 10, how how devote a Jew are you? Um, and then I'll answer for my what am I? I'm, am I, I'm Catholic. Yeah, I'm Catholic. Not sure. Well, already I'm, I'm, that speaks to how, um, devote I am, but w- w- are you like a five? Are you a six, seven? Where, where are you? I think it really depends on, well, it's like, how do I view myself? Yes. And maybe how do others view myself? Cause I view myself as, um, an okay reformed Jew. And for those who don't know, reform is the, um, least observant, then there's, um, conservative and then there's orthodox. Uh, so I, you know, for me, it's like, I celebrate thy holy days, I celebrate Hanukkah and Passover, you know, the food, the, the, all of the traditions that revolve around food, they're perfect. They're great. Um, but yeah, no, I, other than that, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not the most observant. Wait a uh, minute. Hold I'm on. I'm also dating a Catholic girl. So, as yeah, I so have you're, you're already, while, so, you're yeah, already I mean, screwed there. Yeah. Hey, wait, so there's three levels of Jew. We're not going to spend too much more time on this, I promise. I'm just curious because I had no idea. There's three levels of Judaism and you have chosen the one that is essentially the easiest to pull off in everyday life. I mean, I guess I chose it. It was kind of also. Well, it was it was, it was it, whatever you, you were drafted into it and you consider yourself good at that. To me, that's like being the best defender on the Knicks or a good well, defender say, on the Knicks. I didn't say good at it. I, you know, like, again, I so you're, do the a, you're a mediocre things. defender on the Knicks. You're really not selling yourself here. I would say I passed the eye test. 
you pass the eye test. Like, you know, my dad likes to do blessing over the bread, wine and candles every Friday night. So I'll do it with him, but I'm not going to do it on my own. So like I do enough to like do the bare minimum. And even then I probably don't. But the fact that I'm fasting, I think, says enough about my contribution. And it's really, again, like it's all what you take away from it. You know, everyone, all religion essentially believes in, you know, being a good person and doing things that you feel are moral and how we approach that is a very different story. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I focus, I focus on those bigger picture things and, um, I don't believe I've been to uh mass since my, my daughter was, um, baptized since my daughter was baptized. Sorry. Took me a second. Um, but I'm a good person, right? So that got got for something. Yeah, exactly. Just be a good person. That's the moral of the story here. Yeah, be a good person. There you go. And you, you, I've, I will deem you the Taj Gibson of Judaism. You are where you need to be at the time you need to be there. You may not offer much in terms of rim protection stats or you know advanced numbers, but you're you know you're you're respectable. Yeah, I was bar mitzvah. I've been around the block, so I'll take it. Perfect. On that note, the reason we got into this mini discussion was because um, you uh, are have to eat before sundown. We're recording this. It is 10 after five. I'm not sure exactly what time the sun goes down, but it's not going to be too long. So um, this is not going to be one of your hour plus episodes, but we are we're going to give you your your meat and potatoes and we're going to try to um, compress it into maybe a shorter span of time. And the reason we are able to do that is with your help. Yes. You listener at home. Um, yesterday I asked uh, the Twitterverse to send some questions our way for this episode. Cause we're going to do a, I think this is the first Q, the mailbag first mailbag episode we've ever done together. Right. I think so. Yeah. I think so too. Um, you know, because there's like, there's a lot going on and there's also kind of nothing going on. So we figured, hey, let's just talk about whatever you guys um, feel is uh, is best to talk about. So um, we each decided we would pick five questions and to answer. And um, any questions we don't get to, by the way, I'm going to probably answer in a, a newsletter this week. So if you don't hear your question, um, check the newsletter, which you can subscribe to on my Twitter account. Um, Jeremy, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? I can go first. Sure. Go, you're up. Go for it. All right. So the first one, I figured we'll start it out on the lighter note. Um, China Joe Flynn, posting and toasting. He said, or he asked, what do your precious sources tell you about Frank's mystery bag? For those of you who don't know, <laughs> Frank Nilakina has been carrying a bag around with him. Uh, maybe it's the bag that the Knicks will bestow upon him uh, before his fourth season and they give him the bag and he gets an extension. This case, I don't think it is, though, um, but I'll kick it to you. What you think might be in there? Um, the I'm going to steal this from. I think it's David Crockett who said this to me, and if it's not David, I apologize to the person who actually said it and for misattributing it to David. Um, one of my one of my favorite Twitter uh, interactions. Um, it is the same thing that was in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Um, it is glowing. It is magical. It is something that is worth dying over, but it is not something that we as mere mortals are ever meant to know what it is. That's what's in the bag. I like that. Yeah, I like it. Too. Well, when you posed the question on Twitter this past week and you said no uh, wrong answers only, I was going to put down um, that Frank went to the local hospital and harvested uh, ACLs and MCLs for Tibbs so he could have lunch and he could feed <laughs> off of it. But then I didn't do it because you said 
you know, wrong answers only. And that's the only thing I could think of that it actually is. So that's, um, that's fair. I'm going to stick with that. That's his nutrients. It's probably croissants. I hope that's what I what I want it to be is I want it to be croissants. I want it to be a bag full of freshly baked croissants that he brings to the entire team every day that have been like, I know the Concorde doesn't operate anymore, but that have been like baked in Paris and like sent here through the fastest means possible. That's what I want it to be. That happened to me once. My neighbor is a flight attendant or excuse me. She was a pilot. She's a pilot for Delta and she had a layover in Paris and she went to her favorite bakery or boulangerie. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. She knocked on my door one afternoon and said, I've got these chocolate croissants from Paris, my favorite place. Uh, I got them maybe like 16 hours ago and it was fantastic. That's amazing. Delore, what's the name of the bagel place by you in Franklin Square? So very quickly, somebody did that except the opposite. Um, a few years ago, I went into A&S Bagels in Franklin Square, which anybody who lives on Long Island, I'm sure they've they've been there uh, drunken or otherwise. And a guy was was getting he just asked for give me the give me the 24 hottest bagels you have because he was getting on a plane to Florida um, where obviously <laughs> the bagels are, are leave a bit to be desired. Um, OK, um, it's my turn. Um, hmm. Um. I will go with, um, okay, I'm going to go with uh, Two Wit um, is his Twitter handle. I'm not sure if he wants me to reveal his real name, so I'll just leave it at that. What's the plan with Lamar Peters, Iggy, and Wooten? Seems like we got some players and never hear about their future roles. So um, Lamar Peters, uh, as as you may know at home, uh, was a, a guest on this podcast. Um, we... I. Kept up here and there uh, with him on Twitter. I have reached out a few times over the last few weeks to see, you know, um, you know, what's up with him, if he's taking part or whatnot. Um, I have not heard back. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure everything's fine. But uh, my impression is that he is not with the team during any of these things. He hasn't been in any of the photos. Um, so I... I know this may hurt to hear. I would not be surprised if Lamar Peters' time in the Knicks organization is done. I hope that's not the case. I think he's an NBA player, and I'm, I think someone's going to pick him up. But um, like the contractual situation, although, well, I guess actually, I'm not sure how that works with G League players if their contract goes through the end of the league year, or if it ended. I think it ended. In any case, um, I'm not. If you're a Lamar Peters fan, I mean, don't you know? Never say never. But I, I my gut feeling is that 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 ship has sailed um as for iggy and wooten um i the fact that they're there uh it is you know that's a good thing in in my book uh i i think you know we saw wooten taking some corner jays uh in a video that uh, i think the knicks actually released their social media account released and I asked some people, like, what do you think of the shot form? Because I'm not a shot doctor. And uh, most people were like, you know, what? it's not perfect, but it's 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 not terrible either. Um, I I think Iggy's going to be a part of this team. I think he's a I think he's a Tibbs guy. I like Iggy on this team this year in terms of what he could potentially do. I think he's going to get a shot, a real shot. And Wooten, man, if the the thing with Wooten that's tough is his position. He's not big enough to play the five. Like he you know, he's really he's not a big guy so he kind of needs to you know be he, he honestly you know who kenny wooten is kenny wooten is Derek jones jr he's a slightly bigger kenny uh Derek jones jr and like Derek jones jr you know he's his 
he might not get a big contract this summer because of his shot. Same thing with Wooten. We'll, we'll see what what that ha- what happens with that. But I'm hopeful for both. I, I want to see what what both of them do this year. I'm excited to see them. All right. Um, you want to chime in on any of that or? Yeah, just I think the fact that Lamar Peters isn't there speaks volumes versus Iggy and Wooten being there. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. And so I agree with you. I I would if there were a time for a player to be there and to um, be considered for any opportunity in the NBA as possible, it would be now. And the fact that he's not there. That's, that's I, probably. It's I should say, I, 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 maybe he's there, but I, if he is there, I don't know it, and I've, I've, I feel like I, I feel like he would have said something, and he would have appeared in a picture, maybe. Um, but I don't think he's there. That's my gut feeling. Anyway, okay. Um, you're up. All right. This is from Ken Tavares over at Daily Knicks. Uh, how would you rank the PG options by value proposition? Conley, CP3. Uh, and Frank Van. Vliet. Ooh, I, I, I was hoping we would do this one. Okay. So I guess the the primary question here is, what are you really hoping to accomplish? What is it in the short term? What is it in the long term? Let's go short term first. The worst point guard of the three is Conley. And if you're taking on Conley, I mean, you're probably sending something back because if you were just to take on Conley by himself, you're basically saying we've got let's say the, the salary cap is uh, 109 million again. Uh, you're essentially saying we've got $8 million in cap space left. That's not a lot to work with. So the Knicks would have to send something back. In this case, you'd have to imagine uh, the really only big contract that they'd have that could even kind of be um, equal in any way is Randall. So, if, you know, what are you giving up? You're giving up Randall. Maybe you're taking on something, but who knows it. Conley was pretty ass before the bubble. So it's, I guess that's the thing. If you want to focus on developing your players, having a creator, because the fact is Conley's still probably going to be one of the better lead ball handlers that the Knicks will have had since maybe Raymond Felton, um, you're going to accomplish that. But you're not going to win many games. Um, If you have CP3, then you're basically saying, cool, um, we're trying to make the playoffs here. We know that we're not going to be able to land a star the following year. And the reason I say that is because, and I've checked this, Chris Paul's contract is so massive for the final year that the combination, you can trade some of these players, of course, but the combination of RJ Barrett's salary, Kevin Knox's salary, whatever Frank Nielakina might make, um, Mitchell Robinson's cap hold, which again, you can hold that low and then go over to resign him. The bottom line is you're not going to be left with a lot of money. So if you go for CP3, um, you're going to be able to probably have your players uh, progress further in terms of their development. And there's a great article by Mike Vorkanoff with The Athletic of how replacing some players could actually, more archetype-wise as opposed to individual players. I saw Um, that. That was really good. But basically how a player like Chris Paul with the um, core pieces that the Knicks have would elevate them to such a level, plus if you spent the last bit of your cap space on um, a wing who can play the four, like you're you're probably going to be in consideration of the playoffs if Chris Paul stays healthy. Of course, it's a massive if. And if you're a Knicks fan who doesn't want that, if you you know if you want to say focus more on the present, i.e., focus on getting a better pick in the draft, then that's probably not something you're going to want. Um, for those who are more eager to take that jump already, because it's it's been seven years, you know, it's about time. Um, then it's a different story with Chris Paul. And with Van Vliet, I feel like it's kind of very much in the middle, but 
probably closer to Chris Paul, you're still going to be able to get that playmaking guard. Um, you're going to have him for half the money you would be for Chris Paul, probably about like, I mean, if he's signed for, say, $20 million next year, that's going to be 14 or so million less than Mike Conley is going to make. Um, Van Vliet's probably the only option here where you can really say, like, we're going to sign someone and we're going to still have a lot of money left over to build around that player, uh, not just this year, but the following year. So I guess that's the thing to kind of wrap this up with a nice little bow. I would rank Conley number one if your goal is to suck. And then I'd probably have CP3 and, well, no, I'd probably have Van Vliet, then CP3. Just, again, if you want to look at last year as kind of a blip in the radar for CP3, that's fine. But he's still... What he's able to do to help the players on the team, we talked about this last week, uh, it's tremendous. So I think that that would elevate the team. And it's probably the reverse order if your goal is uh, competing now. And if it's long-term focusing on the finances, then um, you would want Conley number one, you'd want Van Vliet number two, and you'd want Chris Paul number three. Um, That was a very thorough explanation. So I'll make my answer a little quick and it'll transition to my next question that I'm going to take. I will put... I agree your priorities. Let me rephrase this in terms of what I want the team's priorities to be at this point today. um, And again, uh, man, uh, Oh God, John Kerry ain't got shit on me in terms of the, uh, the flip flopping that I've done on this Chris Paul thing over the last several months. Um, I have Paul one um, Connolly two and Fred Van Fleet three. I think I would have said, given what I, Given what my guess is what it will be to get Conley versus Chris Paul, I think I would have said Conley um, even maybe a few weeks ago. But I, I, I don't I just there's I, I've been drinking my own Kool-Aid. I don't know how else to say it. Sometimes you just got to be honest, right? This is, this is a safe place, Jeremy. Oh, it absolutely is not. But that's okay. You can say it anyway. <laughs> Our podcast, so you go for it. It's, it's my. It's not a safe place, but it is my podcast. So somewhere the truth. There's a gray area in there. Um. Yeah. No. I. I. I think. I think there's. I think the what Chris Paul gives you over and above. Um. Either of those two other guys, is significant enough that. I, I am okay paying the price. And, um, and I say that with, I've, from what I'm, from what I've heard, um, I, I, I think the price will include a first round pick. Now, before anybody goes apeshit, um, I, I have no idea what that is. Um, if it's a few, I don't think it's a few, I personally don't think, and this is not based on anything I have heard. This is my opinion. My opinion is that I do not think the Knicks have offered any of their own future picks protected or otherwise, or for that matter, the eighth pick this year in a, in a Chris Paul trade. But based on my understanding of the packages that are being considered or are in consideration I think there's a first round pick on the table. Is that the 27th pick this year? Is that the 21 Mavericks pick? Is that the 23 Mavericks pick? Uh, I don't know, but I think one of those three is out there. Um, and, and, you know, again, uh, we'll, we'll be on the table when the time comes to start those discussions, which I do not believe have, have started yet. Um, even despite that, I, I, I still would say Paul, because 
I just, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the train. I'm on the, I'm on the CP3 express. So my question, uh, from Thorsten, I'm really going to try not to screw this up. Uh, Andrachki, um, from our friends in Germany. How do you think the starting five will look like in the first game of the new season? Any player available, current roster, draft, free agency, or trade? Um, I think it will be, eh, I'm going to do it. I think they're going to, I think they will trade for Chris Paul. I think it's going to happen. Um, and again, not reporting that, not saying I've heard that that is definitely going to happen or even probably will happen. I just gut feeling based on the lay of the land. Um, I think it, I think that's what's going to happen. And so I think it's going to be Chris Paul. Um, I think it's going to be RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson. Those two are easy. Um, I think they're going to, I'm probably answering somebody else's question here. I think they're going to wind up with either. No, let me rephrase that. No, I think they're going to get Devin Vassell in the draft. I think that's who they're going to wind up with. And I think he will start. And then I think Julius Randle. That's my starting five. Yeah. Okay. Final answer. You? I have no idea what they're going to do. So I'm going to say with what I, where I'm at right now and what I hope they do. Okay. That's fair. So the starting five I've got is DJ Augustine, number one, uh, at the one. I think, again, uh, Van Vliet either gets the bag from some other team or the Raptors are able to retain him. I think he would make a ton of sense in a place like Phoenix. But uh, there are other teams that, could use some sort of upgrade and he's going to be a hot commodity. I don't think they're going to end up with Fred Van Fleet, especially after that Nick nurse comment this week that he, what what was the actual words? I I would be surprised if he didn't, if he wasn't back that to me says like someone's going to need to, again, I wrote it, stupid money. I don't know what stupid money is, but I don't think they're going to give. Sure. The only thing with Toronto, I would say is that a lot of people are talking and it's not Fred Van Fleet. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's very, even still, like, that's very fair. Said, that's I'd very li- fair. I'd like to come back if you'll have me. And even then, he didn't come back. So, uh, words, you know, talk is cheap, right? So we'll see what really happens. I, I get the sense that Van Vliet is going to look at the situation that's best for him and his family. And if that happens to be Toronto, then that makes a lot of sense. For Toronto, there's there has to be a breaking point though, because Siakam, I believe his contract is going to be a little bit more expensive than they thought. Because of how he did with all NBA, uh, there's some reason why that his contract gets bumped up a little bit. And Toronto, before you know it, could actually be running out of cap space in terms of um, total max salary. You know, I mean, they could get close, and OG Ananobi is going to need a contract. So if you factor in a few of these guys, and Kyle Lowry eating up, I think, 30 million next year, it's it's significant. Um, but anyways, I, I think that. Let's just say Van Vliet is not a Nick and um, leave it at that. So I'll have DJ Augustine at uh, the one. I agree. I think Vassell makes sense for several reasons, um, which we can certainly get into at another point. Um, but just in terms of the the kind of overarching theme of the three, the D, there is some passing there. Maybe the handle can improve a bit, adds a little bit more weight, uh, great wingspan, high intelligence. It's the sort of thing where if you listen to what Tom Thibodeau said and also this past week and also the fact that he's going to have a say in personnel moves and side note for anyone who's going, oh, my God, Pobo Tibbs is back. No, he's not. He's going to have a say in how the team is made. That doesn't mean that he has final say by any stretch. Um, I think that Vassell fits into that very nicely. So we'll have him at the two. We'll have RJ at the three. 
the four is where it gets interesting for me. <laughs> I'm curious because, where you're going here. Because the Knicks at this point, unless they take on a salary dump, have uh, honestly too much money. And I say too much because they could still figure out a way to reach the salary floor, but I don't know how desperate they will be to do that. So I guess the thing that I'm um, kind of waffling on is do you go out and sign a four like Gallinari, who I don't think has the highest trade value because there aren't a lot of matching contracts and great picks that um, from teams that would want a – I think he's going to be 32 – 32-year-old who has an injury track record. Wait, are you are you assuming Randall is still on the team and you, you're putting him on the bench? I'm just curious well, where you're... That's what I'm getting you next. I think then you could probably look at with the five. If you... There are kind of two sides here. One is Randall and Mitch, four or five, like what they... Well, they didn't do it last year because Taj was starting. Um, but then I think another possibility is you do have Gallo at the four or a player like him. And at the five, you you honestly have some sort of competition between Mitch and Randall. And I think for anyone who thinks like, oh, that's wow. crazy, Mitch. I'm not disagreeing. But the thing about Randall and Mitch having competition is we know that Mitchell Robinson felt a lot more comfortable coming off of the bench last year. Does that change? Hopefully. I mean, we want him to get significant minutes and to start. But if they feel that Julius Randall presents a better opportunity at the five, not off the bench, off the bench, but instead starting, then it's it's kind of a really fascinating conversation. Um, but for the hell of it, I'll just say let's get Gallo at the four, uh, get that CAA money for a one year bag, and see if he can uh, be dealt at any point for matching contract. Even though again, it is going to be a little tricky uh, based on the contracts available. And uh, at the five, I'll put Mitch. I I have to say. That I that felt like a hot take. It felt like it. I mean, it's not saying that Mitchell Robinson won't be starting. It's just a matter of understanding that Randall should have played more minutes at the five, and you could stagger them in a way where it could work. But you know, it's, it's it. I just feel like it's going to unless you have a player who's far and away better than uh, Julius Randall is right now. Having him come off the bench is probably. A little unrealistic. And I don't think that Mitchell Robinson's there. I think he obviously could get there. And with the right seasoning and development, you're looking at a player who could be fantastic. But as of right now, right this moment, especially from a contractual standpoint for a losing team, it's not like asking Iguodala to come off the bench in Golden State. This is a a player making $18 on a team that's not going to be very good next year. It's a little different. And I think you could potentially get away with it, um, but fans obviously would not be thrilled about it. But again, as long as Mitchell Robinson gets necessary minutes and plays with players that help uh, impact him and um, mask his deficiencies and um, accentuate his skills, then I don't have a significant problem with it. I Everything you said makes sense. Um, I just, the fact that Randall is there for these and stayed for the team stuff that to me, all the bullshit, the whatever Tibbs has said, what we've heard, any, any of that over the last few weeks, that's easily, easily the most significant thing in my eyes, because we've heard um there have been like at some Fakakta account uh, tweeted out, I think a few weeks ago that like trading Julius Randall was the, the, the Knicks number one offseason priority. Right. That was a thing that happened. Right. 
I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Look, I don't want to disparage anybody else's reporting. And I'm, I'm also, I'm not sitting here being like they wouldn't move Randall in a heartbeat if, if the opportunity, if the right opportunity, um, you know, came about, but I just, you know, I have a really tough time believing that that's there. They intend to move him. And yet that wasn't conveyed in some way, shape or form um, to him or his representatives, because if it was, he's touching any of this bullshit that they're doing right now with a 10 foot pole. I think we could agree on that, right? I don't know about that because his agent could say, look, play the role of the good soldier. And at worst, right, he's reunited with Kenny Payne. So he's getting in he basketball is. shape. He is. He's able to work with someone who he loves. I think it makes sense for him to go. If anything, I mean, yeah, you could probably say like it makes more sense for a player like Bobby Portis to go. But I don't know if that's actually true. See, because that's even more Bobby shocking Portis, to me. Because or maybe Portis not. could get hurt. Something could happen. Um, and I admire that. I, I, you know, we dump on him a lot. I do like Bobby. And I think for five to seven million dollars, he's not a bad third center to have off of your bench. And I wouldn't be surprised if in some way he did find himself coming back here. Let's but, say, let's say fourth big. If, if we, well, no, uh, third, uh, third big. Can we say third big? Because that implies that he could be, he could still play backup four minutes. I think that would get him back here more than like, you know, spot duty every couple of games. I don't think he's come back for that, but it, I, I hear what you're saying, by the way. I, I think he would probably find better work with a contender as, you know, with the mid-level exception or part of it, maybe a room exception, but it's not like the Knicks couldn't afford him or shouldn't, you know, consider it. Um, I think if for the right price, you absolutely should, because again, if you can resign Bobby Portis, and I know we're getting a little off track here, but if you can resign Bobby Portis and deal him and he's on a smaller scal- a salary, then again, you're just, you're turning cap space into future assets. And that's what the Knicks should be looking at. No, it is. This year. It is. I, I, so I'm going to, pr- I'm going to preempt to your next question. I'm going to, I'm going to, I just created a new rule. You could have one, uh, I don't know. Um, I, if I had a buzzer here, I would buzz it where I'm going to, I'm going to ask the next question ahead of you. I'm going to, I'm going to skip you. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip okay. you because this line of discussion goes right to what Mike, um, I don't want to mispronounce his last name. Plu, Plu, P L U G H Mike. Um, Asks, I'd like you guys to talk about what it means for Mitchell Robinson to get elite development coaching for the first time. If he'd gone to Kentucky and worked with Kenny Payne, what would he have been at the draft? How will that manifest now in his third season? So this is why I thought what you said before was a hot take. Not only because of the whole Randall, like if he's here, you know, he's he's he, if he's being a part of this, he he's doing it because I think he thinks he's going to be a significant part of the team and not like coming off the bench. Um, the other part of it is the Mitch part. And, you know, look, reading into what Tom Thibodeau is saying and the, the, the tone of voice with which he is saying it maybe is not the wisest expenditure of time. But to me, he seems I don't know, since day one, he has seemed pretty enamored with the possibility of Mitchell Robinson and and what he could be. And um, I was doing a piece on the uh, on Devin Vassell and um, Pat Williams, the FSU guys, uh, and I 
was looking at recruiting ranks because uh, Devin Vassell was barely in the top 200 when he when he came to FSU. Um, Mitchell Robinson, don't forget, um, was the number 11 recruit in the country in his class. He was one spot behind um, a young man uh, by the name of Kevin Knox. And like he obviously, you know, what happened happened. He was the 30 whatever pick in the draft. And then he came to the Knicks and he has been the bright spot over the last two years. And I don't think that that is an overstatement for whatever other good things have happened here and there. I don't consider any of them to be bright spots. I consider Mitchell Robbins to be a bright spot. And I do not think the Knicks have had a whole hell of a lot to do with that. And I, we spoke about this um, in, when I, when I mentioned some stuff about Craig Robinson, a few, I think it was whatever it's all running together now, weeks, months ago, whatever it had, whatever it was. Um, Whatever they had here, this wasn't a development program. It was something masquerading as development. It was not development. They did not develop any of these kids. As my, my daughter agrees in the background. Um, or maybe she's made very mad at me disparaging the development program. Anyway, I do not think that we have seen even the tip of the iceberg with Mitch. And I think Tibbs knows what he could be. And I think... um if he was in another organ, and I hate the fact that I'm saying this because this really, this is the type of thing someone would say trying to get clicks, um, you know, Knicks for clicks, whatever. I really do believe if he had been with another organization, we'd have seen a guy that would be talked about among the best young players in the NBA. And Mitchell Robinson, I don't think he's talked about that way. I think he's talked about as like, ah, hey, we'll see. You know, he's got some skills, but there's also some some you know tough spots there. That's that's my thought. So, yeah, I think um, I think this is going to mean a lot for Mitchell Robinson, the fact that they brought in this this group of guys to help guide him. And I wish he did not have to go home. I know it's for a baby and everything's fine and whatever. But, yeah, I want I'm excited to see him this year. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, that's why you poach one of the best development you know, developers of big men in the game and Kenny Payne and why you bring him on board. And yeah, he's probably, I, I shouldn't say probably because, well, all right, I'll stick probably because we, we really don't know. But the reality is that anywhere else, yeah, he would likely be ahead of the curve. And it doesn't mean, I think he's already up. ahead of the curve, by the way, I, I, I don't want to apply that. He's not, I, I just think he'd be more ahead of the curve. Right. And you're looking at a team that kind of was doing development by committee and it was a small group that felt that it could do it on its own. But the the team that the Knicks brought in, and by team I mean Fizdale and everyone else, I mean let's face it, it was planting a blueprint for a super team of sorts. And it wasn't necessarily equipped to working with other younger players. And yet they kind of thought like, oh well, um, you know, like it doesn't matter because we can still have these other players, these younger players, and try to have them develop with the staff that we have. Um, it can still get the job done. I mean, I'm, like the first kind of analogy that comes to mind is like you can have a pair of scissors in the kitchen to cut meat, and yeah, it could cut anything else, but what good is it? And it's not a great expression. It's not a good, whatever. The point I'm making here is that <laughs> I love your analogy. They're the, the best. Just, the Knicks weren't working with people who were best equipped to work with younger players, and I think what they did with Dennis Smith Jr is an accurate depiction of that. So now that they have better development staff in place and that they're looking for other people and that may have probably do have others in mind, it only feels like 
the this is kind of like the lowest point for those players. And that's really encouraging for me as a fan. Hopefully others feel that way, but that's kind of how I see it. it. It's also discouraging for the notion of trading any of these guys away in a Chris Paul trade or otherwise, because you do kind of feel like you're trading them at, at, at their lowest value, right? Um, which sucks, but yeah, no, as someone who, um, has some knowledge of how things have gone, have gone here the last two years told me, uh, Craig, Craig Robinson's idea of player development was taking these young guys out to dinner, um, which, you know, I'm sure that's important. All right. You got to pick a question. So speaking of dinner, uh, we could <laughs> talk about Mr. Octopus man himself. We've got, uh, at the Nick King asking, Taking into consideration only his best moments, both in Dallas and New York, what is DSJ's career ceiling? Do you think Tibbs can fix Randall's defense? I mean, he helped Carlos Boozer, right? So it's a it's a two part question. Uh, let's can I just on- jump in real quick? I, uh, this is the other thought that I had before. Sorry, I apologize. Um, Tibbs has has engaged in minute chicanery before in terms of giving guys a really quick hook. So to your point before about playing Randall a lot of minutes at backup center, I totally think it's in the cards for him to start Randall. And then like after two or three, like maybe not two, three minutes, but like five minutes, sit either him or Robinson down and essentially do the same thing to begin the second half. And then they're never on the court again um, together again for the rest of the game. I I just wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, I agree. Staggering minutes for those two would help. Um, So for Dennis, but junior, what I always go back to is if the Mavericks felt like Dennis Smith Jr. could not play alongside Luka Doncic, then that should be a pretty good indication as to the type of player that he can be. I think the shot, as we have seen this week, it looks more improved. That's fantastic. Uh, and you could probably vouch for this because you've actually spent more time around him, but um, the biggest thing for me as an outsider looking in with Dennis Smith Jr. is the mental component. How willing is he to be – how much is he willing to sacrifice? Because again, we talked about how uh, Tibbs, what he's looking for with uh, defense and low turnovers and getting the foul line and making shots uh, from the free throw line and hitting corner threes. I mean a lot of that is the antithesis of what Dennis Smith Jr. has been. And we know that he went through a lot last year emotionally, and he's had some injuries and some setbacks. So I think that, again, I I kind of look at him and I think if he is your starting point guard, your team's not going to go very far Um, because we've seen that archetype before. And I know a lot of people jump to Steve Francis, and I don't think that's incorrect. But again, it's just it's a type of player where I think you need multiple ball handlers on the court with him. And I don't know if Dennis Jr. agrees with that philosophy. So if he can change his mindset and become more of the player that Tibbs um, uh, deploys, then I think you're looking at someone who can be um, a, you know, a good guard off of the bench. It's just that feels like a kind of – it feels like there's a wide gap from him to get there because of what his past in New York has been. So – I'd like to think that a new leaf has been turned, but it's just tough for me because I also see that he's, you know, like the opportunity to trade him is now or at the deadline. You don't have after that. So if you can, I I had said that I would like to see them trade him now because I don't think that his value is going to improve that significantly enough for it to be, um, you know, between now and the deadline. 
uh, where you're looking at a great return. To me, it's more just matching salary or sending him to a team like Detroit where they're all about athleticism with Troy Weaver and uh, they focus more on losing because deploying Dan Smith Jr. and having him get 25 minutes a game, that's going to lose you a lot of games. So, you know, if they bring in a starting point guard in free agency and if they draft a player who is likely going to spend a lot of time on ball, then that leaves DSJ out in the cold quite a bit. So that's another reason why I'd look to deal him. But all those being all, all of those things being said, that's why I don't feel his ceiling is that high on a winning team. I don't think he has any value right now as a trade asset. And I think... Just I, quickly, I think for matching salary, he would, but that's really about it. it sure. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, yes. But I th- when I say he has no value right now as a trade asset, I mean, like, I think there would be a not insignificant number of teams who would look at him and say, hmm, in this economic climate, is that really the best use that we could make of five, uh, what is it? 5.1, 5. 5 point, whatever, five point something million dollars this year. Um, which is why, again, I'm, I am, don't, don't ever say that I have not flip flop because I flippity floppity, like a little, like a wet fish on a, on a, on a beach, on a, on a dry beach. Um, I've, I've said before, get him out of here, just get him off the roster, get rid of him. It, it, now that they've hired Tibbs and now that it it seems like, look, he's, <laughs> I don't know, talk about things not to read into, uh, a haircut and a number change, right? How 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 uh, vague could we be getting here? Um, Maybe he has had a realization, you know, that it's it's time to shit or get off the pot because the talent is there. Um, I don't think that there is any universe where he is a starting player for this team this year, but I do think there is a very real universe where he is the primary backup point guard to whoever they end up with, whether it's Chris Paul or, you know, Ben Fleet or, or DJ Augustine or whoever. Um, and I think there is also a universe where they bring in Chris Paul with the thinking of, okay, well, he played alongside a guy um, in Dennis Schroeder who whose value was, was at its, its all time low. And now he's, you know, he was the six man of the year candidate and is going to be in demand on the trade market this summer. Um, you know, so it's not like Paul has, has not had success already with this archetype of player. And I realize that Schroeder and Dennis Smith Jr. are not exactly the same, but both of them have obvious issues with their jump shot. Um, both of their best traits are speed. Um, I would say, um, obviously Smith Jr. is more of an athlete. Um, but I think they see a world where this could work this year. Um, I listen, man, I'm, I'm excited to, I, I, I'll say this about a few guys. I'm excited to see Mitch under Tibbs. I'm excited to see Knox if he doesn't get traded under Tibbs. And yeah, I'm excited to see Dennis Smith Jr. under Tibbs. Um, I think it's all above the neck with him and, uh, you know, who knows, but talent's there um talent's there all right do you want to go again um so we i think what will we each i had four i've i've asked four questions or i yeah and you've asked three so you get yeah it's you should ask the next one all right i will ask the next one so from at jimmy jump 90 what is the rationale 
for signing free agents instead of absorbing bad contracts when you are rebuilding? Uh, I think it's a great question because it really depends on the team. But what I'll say here is when it comes to acquiring a depreciating asset, you're getting sweeteners because the implicit agreement is we know that you know the team the player that we're getting is not going to meet this contract's value so in the case of the Brooklyn Nets when they acquired Damari Carroll and the two years remaining the belief was from the Raptors Carroll isn't going to mean much to us and we're willing to pay to get rid of him and for the Nets it's okay we'll take that on and we're fine with him not doing well. But then Damari Carroll did do well. So it was great because he had the opportunity. The Nets, you know, did essentially what we talked about last week with the dump and pump, where they took on Carroll's salary and they actually turned something good into it. But that's a rare occurrence. Uh, it's, you know, you could argue that what the Knicks did with Marcus Morris is better because of the fact that they took someone. And they increased, you know, he was already a, a starting caliber player and he got really hot and they sold high and they got a first round pick out of it. Now, the question comes down to, for me, what do you want your team to look like? So the Knicks could take on an expiring contract. Like let's, for example, say they acquired Batum. I don't think they will because it's just such a large salary. But yeah, let's I, just, I, I don't see that either. But let, let's just play along and say they acquired a contract like that and the Hornets gave them a pick. If you're the Knicks, the expectation is we're going to be pretty bad and Batum isn't going to help us be any better. But then if you're signing a free agent instead, like a Marcus Morris type, with the intention of trying to trade them at the deadline, that player is going to increase your win total. So again, it comes down to what is your true goal? If your goal is to just say we want to win as many games as possible, which is it, don't, guess don't we is, know that, that that's right, which their is goal? I was going to say, my guess is that the philosophy of Rose, and especially with Tibbs, is, yeah, if we have the opportunity to win every single game, we're going to do it. Without doing anything stupid. Win as many games as possible without doing anything stupid. Right. And so th that's what it comes down to. If, assuming that, and I think it's a correct assumption, that Tibbs wants to win every single game he can and does not care for the tanking philosophy, the Knicks are going to look for players who they feel are going to best help them right now. And that likely means signing free agents. It doesn't mean that they won't take on any salary dumps, but it's the understanding that going after those players who you know are going to be better, if that value of having them on the team and equating to wins is more important to them than taking on another player for like, you know, a late first round pick, an early second round pick, whatever it may be, then that's kind of the thinking there. Honestly, I think you could make a very solid argument for each side. Um, it's the Knicks have not really approached the um, dead asset or depreciating asset and sweetener very much. I'd be curious to see how they do it, but I don't think that that's where they're going to go, but who knows? Maybe Brock Aller has other thoughts. I agree with you. I don't think that's the direction they're going to go. And I think the only, the only way they would go in that direction is if someone offered them a pick in next year's draft, which I don't, I don't, I just, I don't see that being on the table. I, the, the one thing that I have, I have dug around on uh, as best as I can uh, is how, how much are teams 
really going to like how how silly no, silly is not the right word how motivated are other opposing front offices going to be to unload money in the midst of the financial situation that's going on right now and i have not been able to get an answer but what i have heard is that there are very like it the the owners will have a say in how long obvious this is obvious this is not like the common sense the owners are going to have and say in how long this season is going to be postponed with the notion that like the longer we postpone it the better chance there is of more fans being in the seats so i feel like we're heading in the direction of wh- whether it's good for the <laughs> The, the the country whether it's good for the fan base whatever health public health whether it's good or not for all those things i think there's going to be a world where like if the owners want fannies in the seats for next season there's going to be a world where fannies are in the seats for next season um so from that perspective i don't think that there is going to be the quote-unquote stupid offer out there from some team being like here take this money and we'll give you a lightly protected first round pick in the 2021 draft and because of that i don't see them taking on dead money uh, bad money i just as a, as a primary motivating factor all right my last question um oh man there's some good ones um all right uh scott fox in the last 20 years of nick's basketball if the last 20 years of nick's basketball have been groundhog day the movie which i think it's a pretty good analogy which movie do you hope or expect the next 20 years to equate to so i'm going to give two different answers One, I hope it's The Godfather where, you know, Michael, Michael is as unassuming a character to start that movie as you'd ever, ever want to meet to the point that, um, you know, for for those not uh, up to date on film lore, the uh, the studio uh, wanted to have or or tried to pressure Francis Ford Coppola into replacing Al Pacino with uh, an actor that gave a little bit more pizzazz, I guess, on the screen Um, because the the movie was filmed in chronological order. Um, And then, of course, he ends up um, wiping out the other five families. And uh, and 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 there you go. So I hope it's The Godfather. I think it's going to be Goodfellas. And I think it's going to be good fellows because um, it I think there is going to be. A rise, I think they are going to they are going to get very, very, very close to the top, perhaps using some some underhanded methods, uh, but I think they're going to get really close. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I have my doubts about whether they'll get all the way there. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it, I hope it's good. I hope it's the Godfather. But if if my gut feeling is, I think I think we're gonna see some better days ahead. But I don't know. I don't know if it's gonna be enough to get us all the way there. Um, and I I, t- I don't know if anyone's gonna get made. I think getting made is 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 being all the way there. So yeah, man, that's uh, yeah, no, that all sounds good. I'm still trying to think of what. I would want to see, I, you know, all right. Um, the first thing that kind of popped in my mind and I'm trying to figure out how it works. So bear with me is, <laughs> I can't wait for this is back to the future. <laughs> okay. There we go. Uh, just in the sense of like, uh, for Marty McFly's parents 
it was kind of like the heyday going back. I think bringing that 90s toughness. Yeah, you know what? This is working out quite well. Bringing that 90s toughness <laughs> and that grit back with you that Tibbs uh, and Andy Greer have so desperately tried to revive here. I love it. Um, you know, and then you find your center of the future in Mitchell Robinson and you have, um, you know, homegrown players, but you also have these nice little finds like how you found John Starks. Well, I'm sure Walt Perrin will find someone. Actually, I mean, you could probably argue Fred Van Vliet is maybe the John Starks, but, you know, not Van Vliet, like a type of player like him who went undrafted, who Walt Perrin found in like uh, a low rung league in some Eastern European country. <laughs> like that's what I imagine, Steve. So I'm going to say back to the future. I, I like it. That's a great answer. That's very good. All right. So uh, your, your last question, I believe. And then we're done. All right. So this is from, I'm going to spell it out because I'm not sure if it's supposed to be said or just spelled out. It might be said. Um, it's at L-E-K-A-J. Lacage, maybe. Uh, so I lied. I did say it. Lacage. Uh, if you were Leon Rose, who is one player you absolutely have to have this offseason? Via oh. draft, trade, or free agency, no matter what. If I'm Leon Rose, not Leon. Tom Thibodeau. If I'm Leon Rose. Um, you know, so looking at the draft, I feel like there's me. There, there, let's face it. If the Knicks wanted LaMelo Ball, there would be an avenue to get LaMelo Ball. But I don't think they're going to necessarily give up quite that much in order to get him because of what it could mean on the back end. And the draft is a crapshoot and you just never know. Uh, free agency is tough because of the fact that there are plenty of, well, it's, it's kind of a weaker market. Um, I mean, I feel like the easiest answer here would be Anthony Davis because he will technically, <laughs> or he should technically hit the market. But I mean, I'm I have actually, to, ha- I have to have Scarlett Johansson. Don't, don't tell my wife. Uh, although yeah. I think she, she knows that that's my one exception, but it's that's like, fair. you know, it's, it, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Well, you never know. Um, <laughs> so I, you know I, I know, I know <laughs> this will be a pretty boring answer, but if I'm Leon Rose, the one player I absolutely have to have is Taj Gibson just because of the fact of incorporating It's like Tibbs personified from a player standpoint, and there's nothing sexy about that, but it's more just the idea of having someone who can, you know, is attainable, you already have in your locker room, you know, is going to set a tone that can resonate and can be bestowed upon the players currently on the roster who will then um, bestow that same energy onto future players. And then that's kind of how you, you build this core and this culture and this understanding of no nonsense basketball, but we all enjoy playing with each other and we can all push ourselves to the next limit. So I would say in a year that feels very challenging in terms of acquiring star talent, um, the next best thing could be just really starting, not even at the ground floor, at, at the basement with the foundation and making that as rock solid as you possibly can. And so I'm just as surprised as you all probably are. I'm going to say Taj Gibson. I think that's a fair answer. Um, It's a real answer. You are are nothing if not honest on this podcast. And I appreciate that about you. Um, I'm going to give my answer in a sec. But first, very, very quick before we get out of here. I almost I I got almost the end of the episode, but I remembered. Um, You know who I'm going to talk about, right, Jeremy? Our friends and my bookie. Yes. Did you make any wagers this week, by the way? 
I did. This has been a great week for me. Okay, there we go. This, this is might done. be my best week ever. I'm, I mean, I say that, and I'll probably jinx the rest of it. But no, this week is gonna. To I'm gonna be in the black this week. And don't do that. Uh, like I said, oh, I, I said this to John, but my dad's birthday was last week, as you all know. Uh, my girlfriend's birthday is two days from now. My mom's birthday is three days from now. So uh, the end of September is pretty much hell for me. Uh, we had a really lovely dinner. I kind of killed three birds with one stone. Uh, so this week's betting really came in handy. So that is probably why I would use my bookie. Um, you should. I may uh, make some wagers because my wife and I discussed uh, before my mom's birthday is in three weeks. Uh, she's turning 70 and we are leaning towards um, getting her. And this is by far the most extravagant gift we will have ever gotten anybody as a couple. But we're leaning towards getting her a, a pair of Christian Louboutins for her birthday. Yeah, that that might happen um, because uh, she's she's 70 and fabulous. And that's what you get someone who's 70 and fabulous. But I'm poor. And so I need to win some money if I'm actually going to make this happen. So my bookie, that's the way to do it. Um, listen, the NFL season is in full swing. We got the finals coming up in the NBA. We got all, um, there's cross sport wagers. If you want to bet on both of the things at the same time, got the NBA draft coming up. We had uh, Raphael on here last week talking about the prop bets that are going to be on the board by the time the draft gets here. Anything you could possibly want. If you want to get in on the action with my bookie, two things to remember. One, use the promo code overtime to double your first deposit. New players get up to a thousand dollars in free play. So if you put you know, $999 into your account, you'll get $999 for free to play with. All you have to do is enter the promo code over time. Second thing to remember, um, if you are new to sign up, um, here's what you're going to do. You are going to take a screen grab of your MyBookie account after, of course, you put in that overtime promo code, email that screen grab to overtime at advertisecast.com, and you'll be eligible to win $500 in cash at the end of this month. The end of the month is coming up in like two days. Um, so again, put the promo code overtime, email that screen grab to overtime at advertise cast.com and be eligible to win $500 at the end of this month. Okay. My answer for the player that Leon Rose absolutely has to have, uh, I'm going all in. Um, I think it's, I think it's Chris Paul. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm just being honest. If, if, if you're asking me what my gut feeling is at this point, my gut feeling is that, Either one, it's one of two things is going to happen. Either Chris Paul is going to be a Nick or the prospect of Chris Paul becoming a Nick is going to make the Bucks or Sixers. And I would lean heavily to Milwaukee, um, give up something that they really don't want to give up, um, to overpay for Chris Paul, because I do not think that Leon Rose will overpay, which I know goes against kind of the spirit of this answer. So I guess really my answer is that I don't think there is any player that Leon Rose absolutely has to have this offseason, which is to say, I don't think that there's anybody that he's going to go over and above what is sensible to acquire. But I do think he wants Chris Paul. I do think they're absolutely going to make um you know, a formal trade offer for Chris Paul. I do think Chris Paul is going to get moved and it's just a matter of who has the best offer on the table. Um, that is it. We, we went longer than we intended. I hope I gave you enough time to eat before sundown. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, no, it's probably fine. <laughs> I was going to think of something like, no, you didn't. And now I'm, uh, I can't go to Jewish heaven. So thanks, John, but that's not the case. I'll be fine. I'll, 
we'll have a lovely dinner and then I'm already thinking about food tomorrow and I can't obviously eat. So, um, but yeah, no, we will, we will have a great meal and then tomorrow will be delicious. I think everybody should tweet at Jeremy's at the coincidence, um, on Twitter. Um, all of the things that they're going to be enjoying food wise over the course of the day, Monday. Um, cause that's when the episode is going to drop Monday morning. When can you eat again? Um, Monday night. Yeah. So definitely tweet at Jeremy. Even you should tweet at him pictures of delicious food just to really, you know, that'll it'll make you a better Jew. That's, that's what's happening here. John, you could, you could tell me to my face that my family should die in a horrible <laughs> death. And I think what you just said would honestly be worse. <laughs> The idea of sending food, pictures of food, as if it's not the only thing I think about when I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> that's a really low blow, John. I, listen, I'm, 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 nothing is beneath me. All right. Um, Jeremy, you're the best. Uh, you are, you're, seriously, thank you for putting up with all of my bullshit. There is ample bullshit, and you put up with all of it somehow. Um, and of course, everybody at home, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the show. Oh, Jeremy, did you want to plug anything before we go? Um, no, unless I, I would think, I don't know when my the free agent profile I was working on for the Strickland is going to come out now. I know my part's been done, so I'm not sure if it's planned for this week or not, but, um, I'll just say easy fast to those who are observing and, um, that's, that's all I'll plug. Easy fast indeed. Um, yes. Hope everybody's well, stay safe and, uh, we will be back with you with another episode. Giddy up. Thank you.